about 10 minutes, if you will. And this is going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, a very famous uh, verse of Scripture that I think is going to be prayerfully a foundation for what we begin to pray toward and see uh, God bring to fruition during this year. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul writes, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter, utter our amen to God for His glory. So we, uh, uh, I want to show you how that impacts us here in just a few moments. I want to begin by saying this, that the defining American pastor and theologian Jonathan Edwards, um, in his Resolution 5, states that he has resolved to never lose one moment of time, but to improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. We speak today more, more than any other reason for that one purpose, that we are here to redeem time. We've been given an asset that is... Um, that is not infinite. We know time winds down. We know we are quickly running out. We know the day of the Lord hastens toward us. And so we understand that none of us is infinite in our life. None of us is infinite in our abilities. There'll come a time, I remember sitting in a, in a canoe in, in Nicaragua with, with my good friend Tommy Sullivan and, and making the comment to Tommy, Tommy, there'll be a day we're too old to do this. There'll be a day when we won't be have that physical health. The, that enduring physical quality of Caleb is not guaranteed for us all. We won't get to a point where we're 85 and, and our strength hasn't diminished at all. The fact of the matter is strength diminishes. And so for that reason, we better treat our lives as an asset that is the most precious. Because what we put off today is not a short off tomorrow, right? I have the health to do it today. I mean, I have the health to do it tomorrow. I have the, the mind to do it. I make that comment as I go through my own studies in, in pursuit of higher degrees that, man, I better go ahead and do this because I'm running out of brain. What I can do now, I can't, may not be able to do 10 years from now. So I better, better be, there better be some, some desperation to my life. Now look, Edwards inspires us to treat time and freedom um, to act as the ultimate commodities. Time and freedom to act that define the Christian existences on a cursed earth. Um, the reason for that is, is that while we can complain about our country, and there's a lot to complain about, we can feel disappointed in our country. All I'm going to say to you is this, is that what we're really finally starting to understand as Christian people is that we live in a very lost nation. There is no nation on planet earth more lost than ours. They may be dominated by false religion. We're dominated by a very... American-made religion, consumerism, materialism. It's infected everything. We, we live on the mission field. Desperate. Look, many people before us have suffered the indignity of imprisonment and oppression. We don't do that right now. What I'm saying is this, that while we live in a lost nation, we can go share the gospel freely and openly. 300 and... and 50 somewhat million people around us, the overwhelming majority of them, are absolutely lost. Doomed to a sinner's hell. Doomed to a sinner's hell. When the will of God affords, affords the church the favoring winds of opportunity, it behooves us to act vigorously on behalf of gospel truth. In other words, while we've got the opportunity, what should we do? Seize that opportunity. As a church, as a group of people, as individual believers, while we have the opportunity, we have to act. Look, as stern biblical believers, 
We understand that the window for aggressive gospel pronouncement is closing quickly in our nation. There will come a day when we are not free to go forth and share the gospel as we are now. Don't lie to yourselves. What was not possible ten years ago is the law now. What was considered insanity ten years ago is absolutely embraced by our culture now. So for that reason, we better realize that there is coming a day when what we have enjoyed is just not going to be ours any longer. Paul teaches this in 2 Timothy 4.3. Once again, a very familiar passage. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Hence the course of the modern church. We seek out people that tell us what we want to hear. There was, one, there was a time in which, to be honest with you, um, conviction and, and offense from the pulpit was coveted. It was what you wanted in a pastor. Unanimously, churches said, we want somebody to step on our toes. And nowadays, churches want what? Someone who tells us what we want to hear. We are seeing these words uh, come to fruition. Certainly the extreme biblical literacy of Edwards Day in New England. There probably was no other place on planet Earth ever than, than that time, that day and age in which Edwards was preaching, in which men and women just simply knew, were so biblically competent. Even that has been replaced with a nationwide repelling of biblical truth in the form predicted by Paul in 4.4 where he says, and will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. What are myths? Pleasing stories that we, that we make up. That we make up to make us feel better about things that are true. Pleasing story. What are men and women of faith in Christ to do when confronted with a world that does not merely politely put aside truth, but sees any differentiation between their name babble and your opinion as rank hatred? There's the issue. There's where we see the window closing. It's not just that someone says to me that you need to believe this because I believe this. It's that if you, I don't believe what they say, I now am practicing hatred. I'm now a racist or a bigot for disagreeing. There's the shutting of that window. From where does our help come? Of course it comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The call today is to a new faithfulness and an extreme generation defining sense of purpose in the gospel. What's the response? Man, a steel-spined church. Razor sharp. Dedicated, no longer distracted. Folks, we knew years and years ago when churches would argue of what color the carpet was, that we were losing our edge in the gospel. We knew good and well we were starting to fight about things that do not matter. They were holding supremacy over the gospel, that we were losing our way. What we've got to do is find it back. One of the good things about COVID is going to be is that we're going to stop doing a lot of things that never spread the gospel anyway. Why start things back? Because why, why are we driven to start them back? Because we've always done that. But we never asked ourselves, does this bring anybody to Christ? Does this do a thing but glorify us? Generation-defining sense of purpose in the gospel. As Jesus gives us with no qualifications. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, it says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The heart of our response is a heart of self-denial. 
Self-denial, I deny my flesh. I'll be honest with you. When people confront me with anger and frustration and what the gospel says, there's part of my flesh that feels for them. You know what it really wants to do? It wants to say, well, let's just believe what you want to believe, baby. There's a part of me, there's a part of me that wants people to be at ease. That wants to say, baby, you can live the way you want to, baby, it's okay. But you know, I'm learning slowly and surely more and more every single day that when my own flesh is in rebellion against the truth of the Scriptures, that I'm going to side with the truth of the Scriptures every single time. Because my, my flesh isn't proven. It's only proven one thing. It'll send me to hell. But the Scriptures bring life. And they bring life eternal. So we're going to deny ourselves to take up that cross and follow Him. How then does this truth all um, uh, it, it, does it impact our lives tomorrow? What must we do as God's people to redeem the time we have? First, nothing has really changed concerning the mission of the church. And nothing will substantively change. It's always been everything against us. We thought this brief little window of politeness in one nation was the way the world had always been. But as, the, uh, as the, the, the theologian and pastor Douglas Wilson said, there really was only one plan uh, for the gospel. That was preach the gospel get eaten by lions. That was it. That's the way it was for, for 2,000 years until a very brief window in the United States. Paul writes in a focal passage, for the promises of God find their yes in Him. That's why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Christians have to remember, and churches must live according to the truth, that we will reside in a time that is defined by the promises of God. This time right here, with all this confusion, is no less defined by God's promises than those fair winds and following seas were. This is defined by what God says. God is in control of this. Not one single person succumbs to an, to, to an evil disease that, we, have, we, that we, we speak of so much nowadays, COVID-19, that, that is outside of the will and purpose of God. It's a point every man wants to die in the judgment. God has made that appointment. We have nothing to fear from something that is God's will. Christians have to remember churches must live according to truth that we are still reside a time that is defined by the promises of God. As a believer, live as Christ is definitely spoken and that your life is response to His expressed will. As John MacArthur wrote, enter the coming year with renewed hope in the power of God to do through you what you cannot. We never could do this. If we put all our millions together, if we put billions together, if we spent all, we sit out in the, in the field the most driven people in the world, our missions efforts would fail and fail tragically if they are just under the power of man. All we can do is destroy. All we can do is harm. God's word brings life. God's will, God's purpose brings joy eternal. Pandemics, election, social upheaval, and unredeemed lawmakers change nothing about the reality of the mission of the church to preach the gospel to the lost of the world. We could never do this without His power and might. All preaching, no matter how educated or prepared, fails as the pointless banter of man if God doesn't ordain its purpose. Every mission fails to glorify God and draw men and women to the cross if it's not in line with the will of Christ. Success comes despite every challenge because Christ is infinitely more powerful than every obstacle that His church faces. Every one. Two, missionary martyr Jim Elliott said this, Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. The impact of this church for the gospel is not just a matter of where we can, we can go for Christ, but where we are for Christ. And no time in my memory has gospel-centered, Christ-exalting worship and preaching from the average sanctuary been more important than right now. 
So what is the first call? Man, I speak to the church. I speak to the church that's not here right now. Plug in again to the church. This is a time for full sanctuaries and not skeleton crews. This is a time, to be honest with you, for people to dare to be there. I'll be honest with you. We can go eat in every restaurant in the world, but people are scared to go to church. It's not kept us from doing anything in the world, but what God wants us to do. Amen or oh me. The reality is this is a time for God's people to gather around the fire of the gospel. This is the time and this is the place. Plug in again, church, and stop waiting for something better. Live out the gospel in your daily life where you are right now. For His glory is the early church model. In Acts 5, verse 42, And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Every day they did it. They never took a day off. Honestly, when we seek more than the ground already occupied by our feet, when we pine without vision at the expense of the lost and dying, we dishonor Christ and exalt ourselves. I don't know where God's going to take me. And I don't know where God's going to take you. But I know where we are right now. And where we are right now, we owe, it, we owe a debt for the gospel. We're not in a holding pattern. We're on mission. We're on mission because the blood was applied. Because your sins have been washed away. There is no such thing as a Christian who's not a missionary. We're all sent. We dishonor Christ, exalt ourselves, feeling that we are meant for more when He has already blessed us with a fruitful path. God has laid out in front of you a place right now that, to be honest with you, brings Him ultimate glory. If He sends you someplace else, that is His will. But if He doesn't, honor Him here, right now. Then finally, number three, the response of the church to every crisis is the same. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul speaks to the church at Colossus. He is in prison at the time. And what does he say? I'm in prison, man. There are doors everywhere. Open doors for the gospel. I don't go through. You don't have to turn me loose. I am where God wants me, armed with the gospel. Pray that doors are open. Not pray I get out. Pray I stay in. Because this is where God wanted Paul. Pray that doors are open. The response to the church to every challenge is clear. Pray for doors to be open for the gospel. Internationally, domestically, and locally. I want to see every door thrown open. Paul's even asking for opportunities in prison to proclaim the finished work of Christ. He's not whining about being where he is. What does he do? God, open doors. So wherever you are right now, wherever your job is, wherever you think you're stuck, hogwash. God will throw doors open there. And it's, it's, it's foolish and shameful to believe that he thinks that door is unimportant. Some other door somewhere else is more important. Throw doors open. The life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ for the sins of his people, the church must be declared no matter where we are or what we do. Paul then adds this little code in the next verse that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. It seems so funny to me that this Paul who writes 13 books of the Bible is asking for other people to pray that he speaks clearly. So even Paul said, even Paul wonders if he's got the right words, folks. Even Paul wonders if he knows what to say. He's Paul. You and I are not. Not even close. Not even within, in the same hemisphere as Paul. And he worried he didn't have the right words. So if you're worried you don't have the right words, join the club. Because anybody who thinks they've got the right words definitely has the wrong words. 
God provides those words. Today, our prayer must be the same. What do we pray for? Open doors. We pray for committed hearts. We pray for dedicated minds. We pray for clear speech. That's why we gather today. That's why we preach today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to come, Lord, and to preach your gospel. And I pray, Father God, that I did it rightly. God, I I pray, God, that I have not belabored the point, but I pray, Father God, that I brought to my church that I dearly love, to my family, Father God, the truth that you burned into my heart this morning. I pray, Father God, that it was real, it's tangible, Father God, and it's something that everyone needed to hear, Father. I pray for that now, Lord. I pray more than anything else for the gift of the cross, Father God, for someone today. They might repent of their sins and believe the gospel and be forever transformed. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Brother Doug.